what was the lens in which, hopefully this makes sense, what was the lens in which Matthew taught James? So it's just funny because Matthew's a book too. Anyways, what was the lens in which he taught it through to consider the truth that was being taught in James chapter 2? Do you remember? No one? Maybe a little more, not very direct question. But he taught it through the lens of community, didn't he? I saw the notes. He had to have. Did you forget to mention that part? To talk about living and doing through the lens of community, not just for ourselves, not just for the sake of who we are, what our life's going like, and how our day's going to be, but when we think about this thing that Scripture is teaching us in the New Testament, it's a new way of living. Um, and I think one of the struggles we have in the American church, I think in, in a lot of European church, a lot, a lot of churches, but more the Western idea of church, is that church is something that's left on Sunday or left in a location instead of becomes uh, really a new way of, of living, this thing that Jesus called the kingdom, that he ushered in this new way of living where his ways um, were supreme, proven supreme, and reigned over our ways, and that it ended up being a better life for everyone. And so not just saying, but also doing and living the life, uh, not just having a faith uh, without works, but having works as evidences of your faith, of our faith. When we do that collectively together, we begin to live in and experience the type of community that Jesus wanted us to experience. And I think the struggle then is, is when we don't do that, we, we dramatically fall short, constantly fall short of that, we're constantly disappointed with church and faith. We're constantly going, this just isn't doing enough for me. Um, and it, the reason is, is because it's not. It's not supposed to. It's not supposed to be all of it, to just show up and hear a teaching or check the box of something and even... You know, if you do all the things right that you grew up, you know, I mean, I grew up Sunday morning, Sunday school, training union, prayer group, Sunday nights, Wednesday night, you, the whole deal. I mean, I was, on, I was on church campus as much as I was at my school, it seemed like, and yet you could live just drastically different lives in two different places, and no one really ever challenged me to not do that. Um, and I think that's what James is doing. Um, Matthew, I think, I saw his outline, it really had some really good insights and some questions that we need to ask about how we sell ourselves short and our faith short and our just our, our church experience. I, I spent a lot of time with a lot of pastors talking about the church today because the church is in such massive decline and, and everyone's trying to reinvent or redefine how we do church on Sunday thinking that's gonna change everything. Um, but I think what we really need to do is redefine church itself as way bigger than just this. And you, we've, heard that in our, we've heard that with words. We've been saying that for years. But I mean to really begin to peel it back and say, well, what does that mean? Like practically, let's, when do we move from talking about it to actually trying to apply it into our lives? And I think when we do that, things begin to change. That's when the way we think about things begin to change and the way we feel about things begin to change and the way we feel about one another begin to change. Um, because we stop having more of this consumer mentality that this exists for an experience that I'm supposed to get every week and it becomes something that I'm actually a part of. And that's where we begin to give each other, extend grace to one another as we live. Um, that's where we don't feel like we just have to continuously hide behind or, or our facade and pretend like you know we're all together because everyone else is pretending they're all together. Instead, we could just be vulnerable with each other and 
you know, grow from a point of where we really are instead of where everyone else expects us to be, right? Or thinks we are. It's a weird game we play in the church. I think this is one of the things that James uh, is doing here and why it's important for us to remember that church for the time that the book of James was written about mid-40 A.D., this was like an, a truly an instruction manual on life. And this letter that he wrote, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, and this letter was sent out to Christians who were scattered after a massive persecution, after the stoning of Stephen. And so people were probably scared. New Christians can, were scared. They didn't really know what to do. They were probably forgetting a little bit. It was easier to live in the culture instead of living what Jesus told them. It was easier to just slip back into the old culture because they would not stand out as much and it was just easier. But let's remember that the old culture was not, for them, the old culture was not just non-churchy stuff. It was the opposite. It was high religion, Pharisee, church stuff. Jesus more frequently was speaking towards and correcting hyper-religious people than he was correcting non-religious or people without faith. So we need to remember that. So he's trying to teach people to live their faith out in our super-religious world. And so I think it's really relevant to us when we think about the little things that we do or don't do. And then I also think that what James does is he, um, he kind of hits you right between the eyes with like the real parts of it. Like a lot of times we talk about ideas and, uh, and practices and how we live faith and it's this high level teaching and then he just kind of peels it back and says, like when you do this or when you don't do that and we can all go, ooh, yeah, and he just lists all the things that everyone does wrong and it really hits us and so it's an opportunity for us to to one, be honest, because he even says all of us struggle with this. And then for us to just really take a moment to search our own hearts and to search our own lives, hold it up against and go, okay, yeah, that's something that in order for me to deal with this thing I've been struggling all my life, maybe the answer is to begin to deal with this thing first and work my way into that. And so let's see, through the book of James, if you have your Bibles, turn to James 3. Um, it started, for chapter one started with persecution and the, and the struggle in Jerusalem and then learning not only to just listen and to hear but also to do. Talks about uh, not neglecting um, the, the poor and, and the broken and the, the oppressed. It talks about not giving favoritism on the flip side then to the rich people and, and those who are in high position. Um, it, it talks about a new way of living where our faith and our deeds go together. Um, and then in chapter three, it moves into something, honestly, he kind of introduced in chapter one. He said one sentence, right before that famous sen- uh, verse that says, religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Right before that, it says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Chapter three, he really kind of picks up on that theme and so I want to work our way through this scripture, kind of like a Bible study today more than a sermon, if we can, which probably should be the same thing anyways all the time. Um, and so that's why if you, if you have an opportunity to, have a, to see a Bible, um, get there because we're just kind of, kind of work through this and, and, uh, and then continue our time. Let's have a word of prayer and um, then let's look at this scripture. Um, God...
Would you lead us in this time? We do believe that your word is inspired in, in truth and it's living and that it, there's this amazing um, reality that your word is, that Jesus is your word and that your word to us um, moves in our lives and it, it corrects and it convicts, but it also encourages and it instructs. And so I pray that we would learn more about you and your nature by learning your word. And so would you help us today to first see you more clearly through the scripture, and then God, through that lens, to be able to really look into ourselves um, and to see how that impacts ourselves and those around us so that we can, um, God, we can represent you better and more than, and just, just as much so, God, to encounter and experience this full life that Jesus said he came to give us. So help us not to sell you short, Today, your word short. Help us not to sell ourselves short in the community that you offer us. Um, but let us just become who you want us to be and help us to learn this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so a, a wise man once said, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, uh, but words will never hurt me. True or false? Why? How is that False. I think it hurts you for the rest of your life, couldn't it? What's that? Words stay with you. It's amazing. You cannot say something for years and years and say it one time and it's over. It just undid all that, right? Um, then, so then why do we say it? Why has that become a popular thing for children to say? I don't hear many adults say it. You know, when I've offended a grown man, he looks at me, sticks and stones may break, you know. <laughs> you know so at one point or another, you give up saying that. Um, but, but why do we say it? Why do, why do our children say it? Okay. Um, so if it's not true, then is that good instruction for us to give our kids? I'm serious. I'm, I'm, it's, what it's what we've heard. I wonder if some, is it kind of like what we want to believe? I almost wonder if the grown-up version is something like, it's, it, it's something very similar, um, but it's, it's more just pretending. Instead of saying it, we just pretend. And we put up, you know, we put another layer on to protect ourselves and hide back, or, or um, we strike back in different ways, or we displace whatever happened there to other people. Um... I was just thinking about that scripture. I was thinking about this, it's not scripture, this saying in thinking about this scripture. And um, I think this idea of our words is something that we don't think about enough, especially as a community of faith, as we live with each other. And it's really strange. This is something that's always baffled me is that sometimes it's easier to be gentle with strangers than it is those really close to you. Like I've found, it's strange. In, in, my, in my journey as a pastor, I find sometimes it's easier to lead a church than it is my own family. It's just really strange how we get. And so to me, if we're nicer, we're, we're more careful with our words out there than we are just to people who are around us every day, 
then that shows me that there's maybe something inauthentic about me that is still there. Um, and I think James peels this back, gives us permission to deal with it, but then, but doesn't, he applies a lot of grace, but he also applies a lot of truth here that, that we should evaluate um, and look into. Um, so let's, um, let's just look at this. Let's read through it, uh, maybe a couple verses at a time. I have a few thoughts from each one. I don't know that I have any one thing that's incredibly profound. I just think there's a handful of things that are just making me think as I look through the scripture, and hopefully it's something that uh, we can all uh, grow in uh, grow in together. So, let's do that. Verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, that scares the fire out of me. <laughs> um, why do you think teachers should be judged or will be judged more strictly? Okay. So you think, so you think it's, this is talking about in how it's taught specifically? Mm-hmm. So we better handle it correctly. Right. Right. To allow it to serve our agenda. Right. Yeah. So I definitely think so. I think I think false teachers and twisting things to suit ourselves. Um, I'm going to tell you what. It's weird, especially when you're involved in certain, maybe denominationalism or whatever. Um, you, it's a weird thing how easily you could slip into making, using scripture to defend the way you do church instead of scripture to define the way you do church or the way you do life. Um, even when you don't intend to do it, you know, um, that's really easy. But what about in this context? I mean, he's talking about our lives. You think he's also talking about that those who are, t- their lives better reflect it a little bit more as well. And that, that scares me even more than like, I'm scared to, to teach something for my own agenda, um, um, but it scares me even more when I think about that my lives will be judged. And I, and I, and I, I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, why is that? Because I'm no, I'm no more um, special or whatever than anybody else. You know, I... Yeah. Right. Right. Goes even further. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's what John is saying. That's an affirmation of that's the teaching it properly for many reasons. All how people hear it, receive it. I mean, you could say one thing. You ever play that game where you whisper a sentence in someone's ear and it goes on down and then at the end they're saying something just ridiculous? I mean, that is what happens. Truly does. But then I also think our lives. I don't, and I don't think the reason in our lives is it's any different is because 
God's just going to hold us to a bigger standard because you're more special or you're more whatever. I think that's a bad, that's bad theology. I think what it is is that if we're teaching it, we should know it. And if we know it and we're not living it, then that is, you know, I mean, we know it. You can't unknow. It's like, okay, if you know that now. And so maybe it's a difference between willful disobedience, you know, and non. I don't know. Um, Right. 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 Yeah, and that's weird. <laughs> but so, so yes, there's many ways. So, I think this is kind of coming to a head here. His teaching for the first three chapters is saying lives, doctrine, do what you know to do, not just say it. Live it, you know. Um, you know it, do it. Don't be a man that looks in the mirror and turns around, forgets what he looks like. You know, it's coming to a head here. And then he goes, verse two, we all stumble in many ways. And that's all, that's all inclusive. He's talking about himself as well. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So I'm looking at that scripture and, I mean, I, I picked that scripture apart. I studied it. I looked at it, and I was trying to say, well, maybe this really means this. But you know what he's saying? If somehow you get to the place where you never say anything wrong, then that is, that is the biggest evidence that there's just purity throughout you. Um, one, one commentary just said that it, it's a demonstra- that demonstration of a living faith in controlling what we say. I was wondering about the question, what if every word we ever said was just revealed to everyone and every text and every email? How catastrophic would that be? You ever, you ever hit reply all instead of forward accidentally? <laughs> Seriously. You ever done that and, and how, wow, that was really hard to undo. And then you have to backpedal and go, why? I just, maybe there was just a better way to handle that in the first place instead of talking about that person and doing that thing. No, it's just gone to them. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, the Bible has something to say about that, you know? Um, so um, it says we all stumble in many ways. That word stumble, it's used, stumbling block is used throughout Scripture. What does the stumble mean? Right, right. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that's, you're wise beyond years, obviously. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) One, thank you. That's humbling and scary as well. 
But I really do think, I, and I see the connection you're making, I really do think here that he's using this as a transition s- sentence, though, to move into putting us all back in the same boat, that we all stumble. And the word stumble there, this is not a death blow. That's the good news. That's the hope. It's not a death blow. It's, it's a trip up. And specifically in this context, context, he's meaning that it hinders our progress. Okay? We all have things that are stumbling, that they hinder our, 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 our progress. And the ultimate goal is for us never to stick our foot in our mouth, but everyone does it eventually. You know? And everyone does it in ways... <sighs> And I think eventually what we're getting to in this scripture is we do it all the time and we don't even take the effort to think about how we do it. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 Right. So you're wrapping up where we're going to end. The last part of chapter three is about two kinds of wisdom. So thanks, Jack. We're done. No. <laughs> no, I mean, exactly right. But what, what, what he's doing here in this scripture is he's establishing a point that none of us really control our tongue perfectly. And yet controlling your tongue is really the evidences of the most spiritual maturity. The purest of form. I mean, really, it's like the last thing, like the last thing. If that is, that's the last thing to fall into place, you know? So that's kind of like the, um, it's like, okay, so here's the truth. Here's us, and here's how far we are from being able to do that, okay? And then it, and then it continues, and it says, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or we can take ships as an example, Oh, they're, they're so large and are driven by strong winds. They're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Let, let's just pause right there. So we move from, we move here from um, kind of just the demonstration of a living faith in controlling what we say to discussing the power of the tongue. And it goes on in the next verse. Consider a great force is set on fire by a small spark. So it's giving us some perspective, right? It's saying, it's saying that um, just the bridle, the mouth of the horse, you turn the whole horse. Just a little shutter, or the shutter, just a little rudder on a ship can turn a whole um, ship. Someone who has a Bible read, go to Matthew 12. Who's going to do that and volunteer? Someone. Because I'm going to make you read just four verses. Anybody, anybody? Yes. Read uh, verse 33 through 37. Sorry. Your words you 
Okay, so words are important. Um, Specifically, Jesus was talking to uh, the Pharisees right here. He was correcting them. Um, And he was drawing out a really uh, a problem with what was going on. And it just continues to drill in um, um, the significance of it, but that it's impossible for good to come out of a bad heart. It's impossible for cha- to change the path if there's badness in here for goodness to come out here. I think there are some verses that talk about salt water and fresh water being, you know, salt water spring is not gonna come out of a fresh water, you know. Um, so if our words are a true expression of our heart and where we really are, okay, then what good is a bridle? Or this whole illustration. I, I, he just told us that it's not the tongue, it's the heart. And then, the, so the bridle in the mouth and the rudder is like the mouth and the words and all that. So what good is it to try and bridle and work on our, what good is this illustration specifically? There's something else going on, right. So something else directing, someone else directing. Okay, that's good. And what, what do you mean? Jesus take the wheel stuff? Is that what you're talking about? It is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Right. All right, a boat still has a captain, right? Connected to the wheel and the... So, yeah, I mean... So, when you... If you've got a horse that is completely unruly and whatever... Do you just leave it tied up then in the barn? Or what do you? We had different horses growing up. And some we used to bridle, some we didn't. And depending on their nature and depending on how stubborn they were, unruly or whatever. Um, you, don't, you don't leave the horse in the barn. It's a waste. You don't leave. If there's, a, if there's a boat that the rudder's not working great, you don't just go, oh, well, ship's ruined. Leave it on dock. And you, you fix the rudder. You bridle the horse. And I think it's interesting that you break one and you fix the other, you know. That's kind of like grace and truth. It's interesting to me. Like some, some just needs to be broken. The other just needs to be patched up, you know, and, and, and worked on. So there is this strange relationship, but it's still we know the end story. We know that it's through something beyond us because we're incapable that you work on the heart, but then you also work on your mouth. You don't just get to just say whatever you want to say just because, right? It is our responsibility to bridle, you know, um, and, to, and to fix that. So our words not only reveal what's in our hearts, but they can also redirect they really can redirect our path. Someone had said it, maybe Larry, you mentioned it in the teaching part, that what we say, or, or what we say can, can completely change the path of something going on in front of us. If, if we say something or do something that could have massive ramifications, if it's a big decision that impacts a lot of, a lot of people, or you hurt someone. Um, I was watching this random, just weird. I won't tell you why I was at McDonald's watching TV and it was the Tanya Harding ESPN thing. I don't know. But 
It was talking about Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan back in the 80s when they had the big fight thing and they ended up with the hurt leg and the attack with the, around the U.S. championships. You know what I'm talking about? All you kids, whatever. Um, and uh, it had one scene where Tanya Harding was 15 years old on the phone talking to her mom who was just beating her up, telling her she'll never equate to anything. And that she's just a failure and she's not going to win and this and this. And they're filming her. You just see her little face. You can't tell me that doesn't change something. Right? It redirects. Maybe even choosing not to say something can redirect, you know, our path. It changes. It can change the consequence for you and for those around. Um. Mm-hmm. I just thinking that there's a responsibility for us to bridle our tongue in that because a horse can't bridle the tongue. Right. Well, you're not a horse. Well, I know I'm not a horse. Right. But, but I, so, you know, even here as he's speaking, this is, you know, preaching his resurrection. You know, the very evil of the heart. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. So you stop. So you stop trying. Yeah. Absolutely. And ultimately, it is like this is what Jack was saying that ultimately it's the spirit that bridles us and fixes our rudder. Absolutely, it is. But you still don't. Having the responsibility, let's, te- let's take it back to the, what it was talking about in the first scripture about teachers. I really believe that one of the reasons why this is so important is because now you know. You can't just sit idly by. You have to do something. And so it's not okay for, I think he's teaching, yes, it's God that changes us. So if you're, you know, you need to know we're all in the same boat. We're struggling different things. And it's ultimately, you cannot do this for God. He has to do it in us, Right? But there is a responsibility of all of us to still work towards that. It's still a responsibility of all of us to consider our words and the impact of it. I honestly believe that's how God ends up working in us. It's when we fail to, we neglect considering the consequence of it. It's in thinking about if I say this or after I said that, the spirit working and going, look what you did. That's when it begins to change our hearts. So it takes a little bit of effort of us to sit back I'm not saying physically put a muzzle on yourself, but maybe we're saying let's think through the consequence of this word or this action, you know? And uh, otherwise, what good is it for this illustration even to happen? Um, I, think he's, I think he's, you know, leading us towards recognizing the responsibility that we have and yet knowing, <clears throat> knowing that the strength and the power and the ultimate success comes from, you know, allowing God or having God work in our lives. But I truly believe he does that when we stop. There's a lot of scripture talking about stop, resting, considering, reflecting, meditating on what's happening, the word, the reality, the consequences, all of those things. In my life, that's when God works. It's when I'm going 100 miles an hour and I'm not considering or not worrying about it that I'm just free flow in life. 
And so, if anything, just to step back and think. Um, but knowing that ultimately you're not going to be able to accomplish it, so you can't just go check the box, you know. And you're a lot like me. We've talked about this. You're a lot like me in that it'd be easier. Just give me the box to check, right? Hey, would you someone just give me a box to check so I can check this sucker and move on? I'm sorry, I called you out in front of everybody. <laughs> hey, and you're like, no. Um, you know what I'm saying? You know it. Sure. Think about it. Consider it. Yeah. 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 In that moment, things are happening. Yeah. Well, and even if it starts out with an impure, not an impure, but an effort that you know this is never going to result, if it gets you thinking and considering and in that place, then it ends up working. I remember specifically my college professors who would interactively teach. And the ones that just lectured the whole time, I would, I'm sleeping the whole class. But if I was scared he was going to call me, I was way, I'd listen a lot more, you know? It would force me to engage that that thing, and so there's different ways that we do that. Let's move on, or we'll be here until we move to Bailey Middle School. Um, so, so this next part, seven, verse seven and eight, it, it reinforces where you're going, John. Okay, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So my question I wrote after this was, well, so then, is this schizophrenic? Is this, is this, is this um, make up your mind, James? You know, can we do it or not? Can we gain any ground here or not? And I don't think he's, I think he's just being truthful. I, I you know, to be honest, to not be in denial and work on it was his problem. And yet still knowing that God is the one who does it? I, I was in a pastor's training not long ago, and the guy was teaching. It was a fairly reputable guy that I'd known. It was an author speaking, and 10 times he said, you know what, guy's off the record? Whenever he said off the record, and he, what came out of his mouth after that, he lost, I just thought less of him every single time he did that. And I just thought that would have been great if he would have stopped off the recording, you know? And, and um, I don't know what that has to do with that scripture, but. I just thought, then why are you saying it? Right, anyways, it's just, let's move on. With the tongue, okay. Um, so here's the introspection. Here's the moment. Just let's sit in this and think for a moment. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read the rest of Scripture, and I want you to think about two things. One, is this a bigger problem than you know for you? Or than you're willing to admit? Or than I am, Okay. And why? And why is it a big, is it a bigger, big problem for something bigger than just you? Okay? And then the next one is this whole thing. And Jack, I'm glad you brought it up because we're out of time to get deeply into it. But just this thing that comes, that ultimately comes from the wisdom of God. Okay? First of all, that it's a big, is it a bigger problem than we know? With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Just says it, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Two kinds of wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show up by their good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where do you have, where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I think this gives us a couple thoughts. It's like almost a formula for beginning to work on this. Okay? The first one is, why did I close my Bible? The first one is, is simply humility. It says in the scripture, talking about the wisdom, is just kind of a, it's a posture of humility. How you feel about yourself in respect to how you feel about the other person. Um, and I think in there somewhere, I, I'm just wrestling with this idea of dignity. I think the way of Christ always offers dignity to the other person in whatever we're saying whether it's in, in not withholding forgiveness or whether it's extending grace or even in truth. That word, the posture, humility, dig, giving, offering dignity to that other person, that's the kind, the kind that it's talking about requires us not only to consider others higher but knock ourselves down a couple notches, right? I think first to have some sort of, of, of work on seeing how we see ourselves, all right? Maybe it, we need to expose how we feel about ourselves um, and others. Are, are, we, are we tearing people down or are we building people up? Uh, the next thing to consider in this formula is he was talking about the earthly wisdom uh, was, it consists of bitterness, envy, and agenda. Um, that bitterness almost always comes from withholding forgiveness. Envy almost always comes from some struggle in our own identity and where we gain our, our identity from, our confidence, all right? And then that agenda really, I mean, do we, do we constantly make everything about us? Does every conversation end up being about, yeah, well, when I did, bitterness, envy, agenda, and it goes deeper, and then to flip the flip side of that wisdom, to pursue, it described it, it's considerate, it's submissive, and that's not rollover, that's just willing to yield, full of mercy, sincere, that we become peacemakers who sow in peace. Um, let's just pray and we'll close this out.